Christmas season. Every Christmas season, I love this time of year. We focus on the Lord's birth, those fulfillment of the fulfillment of prophecy. And uh, this morning, I want to um, wants to turn to Genesis chapter three and verse fifteen. This one verse will really encapsulate the message this morning. This is a this is the most ancient prophecy uh, ever ever given for the birth of Jesus and his subsequent ministry. And we find here a conquering ministry, a victorious ministry of Jesus. And this was spoken all the way back. Back when God spoke the worlds in existence and created Adam and Eve and we have the fall of man, but we have this wonderful prophecy coming out of that fall of man. So, you know, the way things go sometimes, uh, last night, Linda's working on a Christmas card. You know, back in the day, we just bought cards. You know, we'd try to pick one out that had, you know, a Christmas scene or something like that. Anymore, you... You go online and you put pictures on it and whatever, and then you've got you've got all these decisions to make. Um, and then so Linda's doing this stuff on her phone, and she's wanting she's now she wants my input. Surprise, surprise, surprise. So there's a place here for text. So do you want you do you have a good Christmas text for me? And I. First thing that popped in my mind was Genesis 3.15, where God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head or, or crush your head and you shall bruise him on the heel. And this, this was actually spoken to the, to the devil, spoken to the serpent and to say the least, Linda looked at me and said, we've got to have a more joyful uh, Christmas passage. Well, and then, so my mind went to the one we used last year, which I think was uh, glory to God in the highest and on earth, you know, goodwill and peace toward men. And that seemed to make everything better. But this is a powerful passage and a wonderful prophecy. So I'm going to stand by this uh, as a Christmas uh, prophecy, a prophecy given uh, that would uh, relate to the incarnation of Jesus, to his, to his birth. So I want to read it one more time. That one verse, we'll ask the question, how we got here. We'll answer that. And then we'll look at exactly what is being said here to the serpent to the devil as God puts him on notice. 
This is the Lord speaking, and this is the aftermath of the fall, the sin, when sin entered the world. So prior to that, you have, you know, the creation and and God, you know, creates Adam and then there's Eve and they're in the garden. And that was a wonderful, wonderful and pristine place to be. No sin. Fellowship with God. Uh, there's all the good things that God intended. Uh, just sunshine and and just everything was just so. Then the fall. And, and then we have this message given to the devil. I want to read this verse again. The Lord says, and I will put enmity. That's, that's strife. That's friction. Uh, that's heat. That's what that is. And he says, I'll put it, I'll put this enmity between you, the devil, and the woman. And between your seed and her seed. So it's not just going to be limited between the devil and the woman. It's going to be this enmity, that is, between the seed of the enemy and her seed. And then this, he shall crush your head and you, the devil, shall bruise him on the heel. Father in heaven, we thank you for this prophetic verse concerning the victory won by Jesus ultimately at the cross. We thank you for what this means to us who are born again, who have been justified by faith in Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you would impress this word upon our minds and hearts. Lord, that you would do the spiritual work that is necessary for each one of us today. For those that don't know you, I pray they would come to know you. For those of us who follow you, have declared our allegiance to you, I pray we would grow, that we would be encouraged by this word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So, how did we get here? Well, you have man in the garden, and it's a wonderful, pristine place, and God had given man a command. You can eat from any of the trees, but there's one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you're not to eat of that. Don't eat of that tree. And uh, as, we, as we find out in the first part of chapter 3, 
uh, things didn't go as, uh, well, let's just say it this way. Man was not obedient to God in that command. Man violated God's command and fell into sin. So we have this recorded in verses 1 and following of chapter 3. And we'll just read this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. So that I like that, Lord God. So this is covenant language. This is God relating to his created order. And he said to the woman, so the, uh, the serpent is speaking to the woman. Indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. The woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden, we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it, lest you will die. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. So this is a record, the record of the fall of man. Adam and Eve are plunged into sin and that sin affects the whole human race. We find that out in Paul's writing, we, we see it played out through the scriptures in the Old Testament, the New, New Testament. In Adam, all die. The wages of sin is death. So what actually happened here? Well, we see the craftiness of the serpent, of the devil. Yeah, the first thing that's, that strikes one as you, as you look at this is that the serpent does not uh, does not conduct himself according to God's divine order. God has an order. I mean, the first thing that we have a serpent that's talking. God gave man dominion over the beasts of the field. Uh, man is to rule over the beasts of the field. Man is to be a good steward over God's creation. And what we see here at the outset is that we have a serpent who is um, who's basically taking himself out of that created order and engaging man who is to have dominion over the created order. He is engaging man in conversation. Interesting. God has an order, and Satan upsets that order. 
There is an order. And Satan challenges that order. He's more crafty than any beast of the field. And he says to the woman, there you go. He's out of order. Adam was created first. Adam is to be the spiritual leader there. And the enemy, the serpent, not only approaches the woman, but speaks to the woman. And he says, indeed, has God said. So he challenges, the serpent challenges what God has said. And he just challenges it with a question. Doesn't make some bold, brash statement with a period or an exclamation mark at the end. It's a question mark at the end. Has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? So he's planting a doubt in her mind. And then she speaks to the serpent. She's engaging in conversation with the devil. And she says this, from the fruit of the trees of the garden, we may eat. That's true. That was true. The Lord told them, he gave them plenty of freedom to eat of the trees of the garden. But from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it. That's what God had said. We don't have a record of God saying you're not supposed to touch it. We have a record of God saying you're not supposed to eat from it. So she's adding a little bit here to what God had said. And then she says, or you will die. And she was correct there. The serpent then says to the woman, he's already challenged the word of God. Uh, He's going to make the bold statement. He says, you surely will not die. So it's interesting that, you know, the enemy, uh, his tactics never, never change. But he is saying that, you know, you're, you're not going to die if you, you, you disobey or you eat of this tree. You're not going to die. In fact, he's just saying the wages of sin is not death. You'll be fine. Be a sinner. You're not going to die. So he, he just uh, makes a statement that's contrary to reality, contrary to God's word. Contrary to what God said would happen. You engage in sin, you eat of this tree, you will die. Satan says, the devil says, you will not die. And then he gives a reason. This is the enemy's rationale. He says, for God knows. So he's he's putting himself on par with God. And he is... uh, He's saying that he he knows what's on God's mind. He knows what God is thinking. He says, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God. Knowing good and evil. Well, we think God forbid 
the eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil because he wanted to preserve the innocence of man. Yet the enemy says, listen, God's just withholding from you something he knows would be good for you because when you eat of that tree, your eyes are going to be open. You're going to see things. You're going to be as smart as God. In fact, you'll be like God and you'll know good and evil. Like, that'd be a wonderful thing to know good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. So they both ate. And it was just once, once she saw that the tree was good for food, once she had heard the enemy's spiel on life in the garden and why she should eat of this tree, um, the sin was just very quickly to follow. It's almost like dominoes when you read verse 6. She saw the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes. And that it was desirable to make one wise. Why not? Why not indulge herself? And so she gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. And they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together. And made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, in the wind. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Previously, they'd had perfect fellowship with God. God loved them and they loved God. And so they hid themselves. The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. This is the covenant-keeping God. This is the Lord God. And that name there specifically says God wants fellowship with man. That's his intent. But man has fallen. It's the difference between daylight and dark. Darkness had overcome Adam and Eve. They're hiding from the Lord. And the Lord God called to the man. He said, where are you? And the man says, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. And the Lord said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? That verse comes to mind. You know, don't be deceived. Know that your sin will find you out. The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me. So here we start the, the proverbial blame game. The man Deflecting responsibility for his own actions, his own sin, 
In fact, you could, you could lay this at, at, on Adam's shoulders or lay this whole thing at his feet because where was he when the conversation is taking place between the serpent and Eve? He said, the woman whom you gave, you gave her to me, Lord. She gave me from the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, why is this you have done? What is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And then we have the Lord addressing the serpent. Now, this is a, this is a big part of this whole unfolding of man's sin and God tracking man down into the garden to find out what had happened, to interrogate or question Adam and Eve. So what you have here is you have the Lord talking to Adam there in verses 8 and following. Then he talks to Eve. Then he's talking to the serpent. Then he talks to the woman, then he talks to the man. And in that structural arrangement, what he says to the serpent, what he says in the middle of all that is of utmost importance. That's why we focused here on verse 15 specifically, but the address that God gives the serpent is in verse 14 or begins in verse 14, immediately after he questions the woman. And so the Lord God said to the serpent. So we were, we, we were at a place where there was no sin. Now there's sin. What's God going to do? Well, I'm going to tell you, he's not going to run and hide. That's something that, you know, we, we don't read it here. Well, God's not going to run and hide, but he is not running and he is not hiding. And he is holding everyone in this, in this time, he is holding everyone accountable. And he's bringing judgment. He's not asking questions. He's not taking a poll. The Lord God is bringing judgment. So he says to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field on your belly, you will go and dust you will eat all the days of your life. So the important word there is Cursed are you. That means that the enemy is banished from any good thing God would bestow. The, the enemy has no place of a peaceful habitation. And then he just says, you're going to be on your belly. You're, going, you're low, you're as low as you can go, and you're going to eat dust, and this will be all the days of your life. 
So that was specifically toward the serpent, but it goes beyond the serpent. And we find that out in verse 15. So here's what's interesting. All that we have read here in chapter 3 has consequences. Consequences that we experience even today. Because this is what he says. He says, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. Okay, between you and Eve, there's going to be strife. There's going to be heat. There's going to be friction. But here's where it gets interesting. That and there in verse 15. And between your seed and her seed. So we have, to, we have to understand that there's going to be repercussions, there's going to be consequences that extend from Eve and from the enemy even to this day. Well, you can, you can see the lines develop. You've got, who was, uh, okay, Eve has Cain and Abel. Well, I wonder of whose seed Cain would have been. You see, some people look at this and they say, well, the seed of the enemy would just be demons and all that. No, the seed of the enemy is unbelievers. I can prove it. Go to John 8, verse 44. We'll just, we'll just prove it this morning. That the seed that is talked about here in John 3, the seed of unbelief, unbelievers. John 8 and verse 44. Remember, the Jewish hierarchy gave Jesus all kinds of trouble. They didn't like Jesus. They wanted to kill Jesus. What did Jesus tell them? Well, they were always questioning the birth of Jesus. Oh, you know, there's, there's always been some question about your birth, Jesus. Who's your father, Jesus? And one day Jesus just looked at them and said, you are of your father, the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a what? He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth and if we know anything about the devil, we know that he doesn't stand in the truth. He is not for the truth. He twists the truth. He questions the truth. He denies the truth of Almighty God. And Jesus goes on to say, he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature for he is a liar and the father of lies. The seed of the serpent exists to this day and is manifested in anyone and everyone who denies God and denies his word. That's just the way it is. And not only that, but he says there's enmity. 
There's enmity between the believer and the unbeliever. Well, we mentioned Cain as an unbeliever. Remember, Cain uh, was uh, rose up and killed the believer. Who was the believer? The believer was Abel. Abel worshipped God. God accepted his worship. Cain worshipped God or attempted to worship God out of his own works. Out of his own hard heart. Abel was accepted. Cain was rejected. Hmm. And that line continues to this very day. And right there it is, at the first part of verse 15, the Lord says what? I will put enmity between you and the woman, and, that is very important there, and between your seed, serpent, devil, your seed, those who believe your lies, Between your seed and her seed. Now ultimately her seed is the faithful line that brings about the birth of Jesus. Her seed. And then it tells you and I about the work that Christ would do. What would he do for us? Right there, he... The seed of the woman shall what? Shall crush your head. So devil, according to God, God is saying, you're going down. Jesus will crush your head. We read over in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8 that Jesus came to do what? To destroy the works of the devil. And when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, born of a virgin, the Virgin Mary. That was the first step in him destroying the works of the devil. When Jesus lived this sinless life, when he taught what he taught, when he wrought those miracles that he wrought, whether he was healing the sick whether he was making the lame to walk, whether he was causing the blind to see, or whether he's walking on water, Jesus in all those actions was crushing the head of the serpent. And that culminated when Jesus offered himself to death on the cross. When, as we read about it a while ago, he was bound and taken to Annas. And he endured these, this unjust trial. Uh, he, was, he was delivered to the authorities. He laid his own life down for you and for me. And in all of that, he was crushing the head of the serpent. What I'd like to say right now is that when Jesus wore those crown of thorns and when he took those nails for you and for me, in every one of those actions, Jesus Christ was delivering the victory for you and me. And that victory is the crushing of the head of the serpent, that liar, that deceiver, that accuser of the brethren. As Jesus said in John eight forty four, that murderer. 
He wants to take life. The devil is a death devil. That's all he is. He is not intent on life. He is only for death. And now there's enmity. You believe? You believe in Jesus? Believe in Jesus and you live in this world, but you're not of the world. But you're going to feel the strife. Don't you feel it? I mean, I can't even look at the TV, even when it's off, and not feel the strife. My goodness. Uh, There's so much strife in this world between those who truly believe and those who don't. And don't worry about it. Don't, you know, don't melt because of it. It's just there. And it was prophesied so long ago in this ancient text we have before us that there would be enmity between those who believe in Christ and those who don't. And there are only two, really, really two groups of people in this world. There are those who believe in Jesus They love him with all their heart and they believe his word. They're nourished by his word. And there are those who don't. They just don't. They're darkened in their understanding. If you're here this morning and you have never really uh, come to faith in Christ, look at that prophecy. That there would be one who would be born of a woman. And he would bring a crushing blow to the devil. Hmm. Well, there's other prophecies. Let's go over here to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7. We'll start in verse 10 there of Isaiah 7, and we'll read on down. Right now, I'm ecstatic on the inside because um, the Lord Jesus has defeated your arch enemy. Do you know that? You couldn't have done it on your own. Now, your good works would never... You, you, you wouldn't even make the devil blink with your, your good works. But with the work that Jesus did on the cross, uh, he sent the devil scurrying. He sent him running. He's on his heels. And one day that final culminating death blow uh, will take place. And the enemy will be cast into that lake of fire. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10. But right now we're in Isaiah. We're looking at a prophecy here. Then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz saying, this is Isaiah seven ten. This was written probably 700 years before Jesus came into the earth. Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Make it deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Then he said, listen now, O house of David, Is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men that you will try the patience of my God as well? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. 
Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son. Now, did he just say, behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son? Yes, and she will call his name Emmanuel. And we know that Emmanuel means God with us. So this isn't your average, everyday little baby. This is Emmanuel. This is God with us. This is a prophecy concerning the incarnation of our Lord. He will eat curds and honey at the time he knows enough to refuse evil and choose good. For before the boy will know enough to refuse evil and choose good, the land whose two kings you dread will be forsaken. And then we go over here to Isaiah 9. I love the way this starts out in verse 1. This Isaiah 9. Just celebrate our Lord Jesus. I, I still have that a little bit of that sweet taste of that fruit of the vine we drank a while ago. I'm remembering our Lord and, and, and you're remembering our Lord. And we are feasting on these prophecies concerning his birth and his reign. Look at this. But there will be no more gloom. I, I say amen to that. I say amen to no more gloom. <laughs> we say it in the midst of a... Boy, this is foggy this morning. We live in a foggy world, don't we? But he says, there's going to be a time, there's going to be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he's, he, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea and the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Oh my. And you know, here, here we're reminded of the enmity. What did John say in John chapter 1? The light shines in the darkness. And that's in reference to Jesus. The word who became flesh. The light shines in the darkness. But what did he say? The darkness comprehended it not. There's the enmity. There's the division. There's the barrier. He says, but later on he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea. And on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. I remember, I'm reminded what Paul wrote over in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, you know, he says, the, the God of this world, the devil, has blinded the eyes of the unbelieving so that they will not believe in Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. That's the work of the enemy. He wants to keep folks in darkness while Jesus... The son of God, born of a virgin, born a baby in Bethlehem and wrapped in swaddling clothes. He's the light of the world. Has that light? Has the light of Jesus shined on you? I trust it has. He says the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest. As men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. I wonder who that is. That's the enemy. 
The rod of the oppressor, as at the battle of Midian, for every boot of the booted warrior in the battle, tumult and cloak rolled in, blood will be for burning, fuel for the fire. Well, what causes all this commotion? I mean, he's, he's describing a war. I mean, the boot of the booted warrior, the battle tumult, cloak rolled in blood, being for burning, fuel for the fire for, there it is, verse 6. What, ch- what causes all this, all this uh, commotion? For a child will be born to us. It's a gift. Jesus, baby Jesus, a gift to us. A son will be given to us and the government will rest on his shoulders. Yeah, he brings the everlasting kingdom. He brings the ever, everlasting kingdom. You know, we have, we have elections here. We have, you know, whatever we have as far as government. But, but this government that we have in this life is, a, is short-lived. It's temporary. Because Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he brings an everlasting kingdom. And, and, and he, he came into this world as a, as a baby boy, as a child. And the government will rest on his shoulders, even as a child. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Oh, and he's mighty God. Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be, there it is, no end uh, to the increase of his government or of peace. And and he don't have to have a lot of money to run that campaign. And he sure ain't worried about what the polls show. I can tell you that. On the throne of David, you're you're getting happy. Maybe I'll preach a little bit more. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. And somebody's sitting out there scratching their head going, well, I wonder how that's going to happen. I wonder how that would happen. I wonder how a child would do all that. Read the next line. The zeal of the Lord of hosts. By the way, Lord of hosts means Lord of armies. He's the Lord of hosts. The zeal of the Lord of hosts, the passion, the zeal, the determination will accomplish this. And what fueled that zeal? His love for you. His desire to save you fueled that zeal. We give him praise. There's much more to say. Uh, Oh yeah, you're wondering, well, what happened to that Jesus bruising his heel? He crushed the serpent's head at the cross. That's a death blow. On the cross, Jesus bruised his heel. That's not a death blow. 
The cross was painful. But at the cross, he overcome. He overcame sin, shedding his blood that we could be forgiven of our sin by faith in him. Jesus brought the victory at the cross. I trust you and I live in that victory and think of that victory often during this uh, Christmas season. Father in heaven, thank you for the, the time together today and there's so much going on around us and our lives uh, become cluttered and we've got stuff happening here and there. And the truth of it is, Lord, that through all of this that we live through, we're better off keeping our eyes fixed on you. Uh, Lord, help us to... to um, help us to remove ourselves to, to step back from the pride of this life. Help us to keep our eyes on you. Help us to be obedient to you. And Lord, help us to rejoice in you. I, I'm reminded that while there's enmity in this world between believers and unbelievers, Lord, that when we gather on a Sunday morning, this is, uh, this is close, I think, as we get to heaven on earth. We're so thankful for that. Lord, bless as we are dismissed, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.